Nobody. Seriously, absolutely nobody. White males in their 20s. Hey guys, we're starting a podcast! <laughs> it's funny only because, hello, welcome to Live Life Real. It's me, your friend Caleb, obviously. <laughs> I hope you've had a great last two weeks and everything is going well in your life. And if not, then you know what? I hope it gets better. I'm, again, really, really glad you've taken the time to, to come meet up with me again and us, for us to sit down and let's talk about the Bible, let's talk about life, and let's apply the Bible to our lives as we should. So, today's topic I'm going to title with a very, very familiar phrase, for such a time as this. So and then parentheses, I'm going to be like, it's unfortunate, sudden, and scary events, close parentheses. Why am I reading my script so literally? <laughs> but yeah, today we're going to be talking about such, for such a time as this, relating back to unfortunate and scary and sudden events. So in life, there's always things that happen very, very suddenly. You, you didn't expect them to occur. Sometimes they're good. But in this context, usually they're bad. Uh, last time we met, I gave you the hypothetical that, I'm sorry, you're broken up. You've just been dumped by your significant other and you're single again. That would be a rejection. That would be heartbreak. There's plenty of people who recently have experienced illness. I mean, as I we stated already, there is still a pandemic going on and people are still getting sick. There are people who in recently recent days, even today, have died from the pandemic or something else completely. These are very, very sudden and scary and unfortunate events that go on. But then that's where the phrase comes in, for such a time as this. No matter what's going on, no matter what is happening, in the middle of every single event, God has always positioned someone perfectly to step into that role, to be able to speak life and encourage the people who are going through it. Even so far sometimes to use that person who is perfectly positioned to make everything better, to help bring about a change that will glorify God. And sometimes that's us. So today, in light of this kind of like overall topic, we're going to be applying this a little bit differently. We're going to be doing a case study on the book of Esther. Now, the book of Esther is like one of my favorite books of the entire Bible. And because there's so many unfortunate, scary, and sudden events that go on, the best way for me to apply the book of Esther to all these is to just run through it. And we'll piece things together as we go because it is a really, really good book and very relevant. And there's a lot of parallels that go on in the book. So a summary of the book of Esther. I'm going to put this as concisely as I can. It's about Hadassah, or Esther, who was a Jewish girl who was raised by her uncle Mordecai, who is a Jewish man, both living in Susa, which is a Persian stronghold. They are in Susa and not Israel or Judah because their ancestors were a part of the southern kingdom of Judah's captivity as God ordained. Through a series of events that I will cut out for time purposes, Esther becomes queen, and she receives extremely special favor in the eyes of the king and the entire palace. 
During King Xerxes I's reign, after Esther becomes queen, the king's advisor, Haman, devises a scheme to kill all Jews in Susa and in the Persian kingdom. He does this because Mordecai refused to worship him as a god. He refused to bow down to him at the king's gate as if he were a Greek god who controlled how scorpions die. Mordecai just wouldn't do that. This angered Haman so much that, you know, that pride that we all talk about, that like we boast ourselves up. Yeah, Haman had that in a really bad way. Haman was so angry and furious with Mordecai that he deceived the king into signing a decree to kill all Jews in Susa and the Persian kingdom. Quick side note on how he convinced the king to sign this decree, Haman did not identify the Jews or give them a name. Instead, he painted them as rebels, thieves, and foreigners who did not obey the king and didn't belong in the world. That was really, really fascinating for me to realize as I was going through and studying for this episode that he refused to give them any form of identification. He only painted them by false traits and false qualities, and that's all he needed to do to deceive the king. That goes like a deeper meaning right there. We'll have to get into another episode, but that was so cool to study. So the king signs the decree. Now, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, a decree, once signed, cannot be undone. Mordecai discovers the plot, and he encourages Esther to talk to the king about it, because, after all, Esther is a Jew. Esther agrees to go speak to the king, but there's one problem. She has not been summoned. Anyone who appears before the king without a summon from the king is subject to death unless the king puts out the golden scepter, which is an indication of favor. She decides to ask Mordecai to fast. She goes in to see the king, but she requests to have a banquet with him. And then at the banquet, she requests a second banquet before she finally calls Haman out. The king believes her, Haman is done away with, and she pleads with the king to reverse the decree. But remember, it cannot be reversed according to the law of the Medes and Persians. The king gives Esther and Mordecai permission to write a new decree, which would allow Jews to defend themselves from their enemies on the same day that Haman's decree was to take effect. And she gave the citadel of Susa two days of defense. The whole thing ended by a celebration of delivery of the Jews, which to this day is celebrated and is called the Feast of Purim. That's the story of Esther. I've grossly simplified some of it just for sake of time. I highly encourage you to go back and read the book of Esther. It's very, very short. You can literally read it in one sitting. It's awesome. One of my favorite books. So. <laughs> Let me stop uh, fanboying here for a few minutes. Let's look at the focus passage. How does the book of Esther go back to things that happen suddenly, these unfortunate, scary, sudden events? The first thing we have to recognize is what Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, 33. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. He says, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. 
So the first thing we have to recognize is that these things will happen. They are inevitable. Now, the language used in this passage and also in the greater context also refers to bigger things that will happen. We're talking literally persecution of the church like happened in the Roman Empire and will happen again in the future. But the same message that you will face problems applies to any situation in life. No matter how big nor how small, how sudden, how scary, Jesus has overcome. And you can have your hope. As we discussed last time, your hope is in Christ in the future as you understand the present and past to find peace in the middle. The second thing we must focus on comes from Esther. We're in chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And I want to read these real quick because there is richness in these verses. So I'm reading out of the New King James here. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go to the king these thirty days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Susa, and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, day or night. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The key thing we need to pull out of this is that Mordecai is the one who recognizes. Mordecai recognizes that Esther, whose own people are about to be killed has been put into a unique position to save her people, but also herself. Do not think that because you are in the king's palace that you will escape any more than all the other Jews. Mordecai gives warning that, yeah, just because you're in an elevated place does not stop you from facing the danger, will not stop you from also being killed, maybe not immediately, but in the future. But because you are in an elevated place, you are in a unique position to literally change the mind of the king. This is all in your hand. God has placed you specifically in this place to deliver the Jews. The other part is that Esther, upon hearing Mordecai's words, recognized the truth. But then she also recognized the danger of presenting herself to the king. A lot of times, even though we're perfectly positioned by God to act, to help encourage, to speak life, to bring light into a dark and sad situation, moving and acting is not easy. It's not without fear. It's not without potential consequences. Nothing in a life of faith is truly easy. There's always going to be opposition. There's always going to be people. There's always going to be forces that come against you. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of the air. We wrestle against the spiritual darkness. We will always have some form of opposition. In her case, her opposition was the law literally says that I will be killed unless he says, I want you here. 
she had to recognize the danger. She recognized the danger and the severe consequences, but she moved forward anyway. This is what we would call a sacrifice. A sacrifice is giving something up or doing something in light of consequences, in light of sometimes even personal detriment. In the church, we like to talk about sacrificial giving in context of money. Well, there's like a missions project, for example, and yes, if you will give help support this missions project, it will reach people who need the Bible, who need to hear Christ, help rebuild a school, something. Sometimes we don't always have the money, but we give anyway. It's a sacrifice. That money, we might have been using it to go out to lunch after church. We might have been using it for a haircut. We give it up because we're like, okay, we recognize there is a greater need. There's something bigger than us. I don't need to get a haircut right now. I can wait three more weeks or if I can get a haircut at all right now. <laughs> if I can wait to go out to lunch. I don't have to go out to lunch today. But there is a greater sacrifice than just money. Sometimes that sacrifice is your personal being. Sometimes that sacrifice is your safety. Sometimes that sacrifice is your health. First responders right now are sacrificing their health to test people, to take care of people. And like safety, the, these are people in the military, for example. These are people overseas. Sometimes these are just people in the U.S. who are sacrificing their lives to bring peace, to help calm disorder and chaos. Sacrifice is greater than money. And Esther recognized the sacrifice that it would take to appear before the king. The third thing we need to note in this passage, and actually through the entire book of Esther, that God is actually never mentioned. If you'll read the book of Esther, you will find that Yahweh, God, is nowhere in any of the book. That word is never written. And yet it's very obvious that Mordecai and Esther at least know of God. They at least do their best to follow some of the commands of God. Mordecai would not bow to Haman. He recognized that man is not God, that God alone is God, that he will have no other gods before him, and he will not worship and bow down to a man as if he were God. Mordecai recognizes that Esther is in a unique position, and he says, if you do not help, someone else will rise up. Something else will happen to save them. He had a hope for peace in the present. He had a hope that if she didn't respond, something else would happen to save them. That is very clear pictures of a faith in God. And it's just really interesting to me to note that because we don't always have to be overtly, oh, I'm doing this thing because of faith. You can be doing it in faith, but you don't necessarily have to speak it. It doesn't have to be something that you broadcast and proclaim. You can do things by faith without saying them. Do the things in secret place and you pray in the secret place and your heavenly father who sees in secret will reward publicly and openly. We're not supposed to serve God showily. We're not supposed to serve him in the sense that, oh, I'm giving money to the missions. Oh, I'm doing this to as a sacrifice. We should serve with a willing heart, but also not to bring attention to ourselves. That was the point of the parable that Jesus spoke when you had the Pharisee and the sinner in the temple praying 
rang, the Pharisee lifted his eyes and spoke with a loud voice and said, I am glad I'm not like that sinner over there. I give tithes, I serve the poor. Praise God for hearing my prayers, unlike him over there. And the sinner literally just looked down, beat his chest and said, Oh God, forgive me for I have done wrong. Mordecai saw the value of not even speaking faith, but acting in faith. And sometimes that's what we need to do. We need to remove the pride. We need to remove the focus, that self-centered, we want the glory, and just do it. And again, our God who sees in the secret place will reward openly. We don't do it for the reward. We don't do it because we want the show. We do it because that's what we should do. That's what we're called to do. That is what God has positioned us in that place to do. So where's the application in all this? We've case studied the book of Esther. We've explored it in some depth. So how do we apply what we've explored to our lives? Because we have gone through the book of Esther a little more broadly as it does apply to many things, I do not have a concrete example to use for application, but I know you do. Probably through all of this, you've probably been thinking about some situation where all of this could apply, but we can summarize it as this. You never know when and where God has uniquely placed you. You have no clue. It's God's will that you're following. It's his right to reveal it. He doesn't necessarily have to reveal it to you. You just have to know that wherever you are is where you're supposed to be. That's something I personally have struggled with for years of I didn't want to be where I am. I didn't want to be at the school I was at. I didn't want to be involved in the things I was involved. I wanted bigger, I wanted better, I wanted different. I did not recognize that where I was is where I needed to be. You have no idea where God has uniquely placed you. You must be willing, number two, to be humble and willing to listen to God as you recognize his placement and be responsive. You must act. And I've already talked about that one, so skip to three. There are people in your life that you are to invest in, to show God's love and goodness, and to be a shoulder to cry on. Maybe not a literal cry, but to be there in support. Your position that you've been uniquely placed may not necessarily be to save an entire nation. It may be simply to encourage one person. I can tell a personal story on this. There is a friend. Actually, at the time, we were barely friends. We had class together. She sat right behind me. And one time after class, she saw me and she was like, hey, please, Caleb, come here. I'm like, okay, what's up? She's like, I'm sad. Will you just sit here and cheer me up? I'm like, okay, sure, I got nothing else going on. So I and some of my other friends of hers, we just sat there for an hour just having fun. We talked, we sang. I think that's where I ended up in my very first group selfie. I've still never seen that picture. <laughs> but we just hung out. I had no idea at the time what was going on, but I did it because she asked and I had nothing better to do. And it was like, you know what, why not? Come to find out that what was going on was very, very personal to her right then. And just by my presence being there to sit there to talk to her, even though she didn't tell me about it until years later, just to sit in the talk and encourage and have fun lifted her up and helped her get through not only that day, but the following days and the following events. 
she's now one of my closest friends. Did I know that would happen when it happened? Absolutely not. Again, I barely knew her at the time, but I was willing to step forward. I was willing to sacrifice leaving the college early because my classes were done. I could go home. I didn't have to be there, but I sacrificed my time for this person. I recognized that, you know, she's a valuable person. She's nice. She's funny. She's pretty. I mean, what's not to, why should I say no? She's specifically asked me to come over and with some other people just hang out. Why, why should I be selfish with my time when I literally have nothing to do? My homework is done, or if it's not done, it'll be done quickly. So I sat and I stayed and it encouraged her in the process. And that's what it means to be placed in a specific time, to be perfectly positioned by God to speak life, to encourage people in unforeseen, sudden, unfortunate, scary events for such a time as this. And that's all I've got. So as always, we're gonna pray. And then, I don't know, you go get in your car and drive or walk into your bedroom or something and like, I don't know, do homework. <laughs> oh boy. Dear God, I thank you for this time that me and my friend just been able to sit down and just, again, we'll just discuss your word and have a good time in the process. I thank you for showing us that everywhere we are, no matter what's going on, we are in a perfectly positioned place to serve you, to speak life, to glorify you in everything. That we may not know where we are or what we're supposed to be doing. We may not even recognize that we've been uniquely placed yet, but we're there anyway. Help us to be content in where we are. Help us to recognize that, yeah, this may not be ideal right now, but there's a purpose for everything that goes on. It's not just this too shall pass, but this has a purpose. As we remain in that purpose, as we remain in your word in relationship with you, where you've perfectly placed us, help us to keep our eyes open. Help us to have our spirit clear and a willing heart to serve, to identify those you've placed in our life so we can minister to them, so we can encourage them, so we can speak life into them. As we identify, may we be willing to sacrifice our time. May we be humble enough to sacrifice our money and our other resources to show your love and your light to those who are hurt, broken, or living in darkness. We don't know wherever, whenever you're going to want to move, whenever, wherever you want to speak. So whoever it is, whenever it is, wherever it is, may we be willing, knowing that you're in the middle of it, and if that you've placed us there, then there's a purpose for it all. Even if we don't know it for like three, four years down the road, if we ever know, there's a purpose for every single moment. I thank you again for everything you've done in our lives. I thank you for your word, how it is so holy and it speaks to us and is relevant to us every single day and everything that goes on. And so in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, now, next time we meet, I'm going to have like a better joke or something, maybe. I don't know. I feel like I'm not as funny lately. Maybe that's because there's like been like 104 days of virtual summer vacation and online classes come along just to end it, except now it's like classes might be canceled. So it's like January 2021 is when summer vacation ends. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Catch ya. Bye.